Do you ever struggle with how to end, like, a communication? Maybe it's a conversation, and you just, you really got to get going, but you just can't get going because you're kind of captured. Ever have that? Or have you ever had it when you're on a phone call, and you've given every cue you've ever known, and that person just keeps on going with the next story? Have you ever been there? Have you ever done that? <laughs> Afterwards, be like, maybe I should have let them go a little earlier. Or perhaps it's signing off of like an email or a letter. You know when you write a greeting card or something and you've said everything you wanted to say and there's still too big of a gap. And you're like, oh, I can't end it here. I can't, I can't, you know, uh, Hancock my way out of this and write my name huge. And so what do I say? How do you sign off? <laughs> Sincerely, <laughs> that, that's good. That does work. Sincerely, truly yours in Christ. Grace and peace in Christ, sincerely, Kevin, <laughs> your friend. <laughs> Got it. I like it. <laughs> well, there's this guy named Paul you're likely familiar with. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. He was a faithful disciple of Christ. And he wrote a lot of letters, and he had to sign off on these letters. And it's an interesting thing when you look at his letters. He has, he has these trends you start to pick up on. And what we find is oftentimes Paul will give final greetings and commendations as he signs off to these letters he writes to these people and to these churches. And he leaves often with words of encouragement or heartfelt reminders. Even in the letters where he's just completely digging into this group of people, he still ends it in this way. And what I love about this is it reminds us that, that sometimes when we read this, we, you know, because everything else we read are just stories or even our histories sometimes are only part of the history, this is true, this is the truth. And so when we read this, we sometimes forget these are actual people with actual connections and actual relationships and, and this, this flourishing community during these ancient times. And so it reminds us that these are real people that breathed and lived and struggled and contended for the gospel when the church felt like it was as strong as only a flickering flame. And Colossians, where we are today, is one such letter where Paul signs off. And so in our penultimate message for our series, we're looking at the Colossians 4.10. Now, spoiler, only about nine of those are true heroes as we find them, but it's the Colossians 4.10. We're going to look at one of Paul's endings of his letter and see how God is at work in the midst. So, quick context, and then we're going to break all this out. Colossians was written during Paul's first Roman imprisonment. So he is in chains, likely uh, it was more of a house arrest really, but he's chained to a guard and he had certain privileges. One of those was he could write letters. And so he's writing this letter with the purpose of to combat er false teachings and errors that were starting to permeate the church in Colossae. See, there were these false teachings in their city that were, that were all around them in this small little contingency of Christianity was trying to remain steadfast in the truth, but things were starting to seep in. And so Paul was giving them a reminder to stand firmly on the truth of who God is in his word and to not give in to those false teachings. He also wrote this letter to remind them that they have everything they need in Christ. 
And then at the end of this letter to the church in Colossae, he writes this. Ten names. We're going to pause after small groupings of these. And as we do this, I encourage you to consider how is what you read a reflection of who you are, a longing of who you want to be, or perhaps, at least in one instance, a longing of who you don't want to be. Hear now the true word of the Lord, Colossians 4. We're going to start at verse 9. Spoiler also, uh, there's a lot of really hard to pronounce names in here. So we're going to just barrel on through them like we know what we're saying, all right? So here we go. Tachicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and our dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. First section, we have Tachicus. Now, Paul's imprisoned, right? And word would have likely spread throughout the, 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 the areas. Messengers probably went before the letters were sent. And so this church, the Colossians church, had heard Paul was imprisoned. And they're probably wondering, what is going on? And what does this mean for us? We know Christianity was young. It was, it was frail. It was fragile. Not because... It's not because it's Christ's church and gates of hell will never prevail against it, but their perception was it was weak. So perhaps they needed some encouragement and some answers to their questions. Now this text shows us that Tachicus is the one that delivered this message to the Colossians church. He didn't just deliver this one. He actually was the per personal deliverer of the letter to the church in Ephesus as well. Look at what it says about Tachicus and his final greeting in Ephesians. He says this, may sound kind of familiar. Tachicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, he'll tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Tachicus, in both instances, he's sent to inform and to encourage. Now, Tychicus is interesting. He's also mentioned in three other places in the New Testament. Acts 20, verse 4, he's mentioned to be one of the disciples who journeyed with Paul throughout his missionary travels. In 2 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, he's instructing Timothy that he sent Tychicus to the church in Ephesus, which is pretty cool because we just read in Ephesians that he's sending him. And then in Titus, a letter to Titus, Paul mentions that Tychicus, or perhaps another, we don't know who, is going to be sent to Titus to fill in for him where he was at Crete so Titus can go and join up with Paul on his next missionary assignment in Nicopolis. Okay, if your eyes are glazing over, we're moving on. Now, Tychicus, this is what matters about him. He's mentioned four times in the Bible in association with Paul. It's commented on multiple times as him being a dear brother and a faithful servant in the Lord. This is who this man was. That is his reputation. Now, a dear brother, that's not just like saying like, like hey, you're my, you're my brother in Christ. He's a dear 
brother. He was a much-loved fellow Christian. In fact, you could say he's just a good friend of Paul's. And then, then faithful servant also rendered faithful minister to Lot. The way the Greek breaks down there in that phrase, it's, it's not to just express that he was faithful. He was. But that he was such a loyal servant of Christ, and he was such a loyal and trusted helper of Paul. It's the image of them being like brothers in arms. This forging that only happens in a battle that is as tight as a bond of blood. And that is what he is. He is a dear brother of Paul's in the contention for the gospel. And we see that because Paul trusted him enough to deliver these two letters. These two letters that later go on to become the New Testament, part of the New Testament. He was a deeply faithful man. He was a close co-laborer of Paul's, and God used him in mighty ways. And yet many of us could not spell his name, let alone pronounce it, or even remember it. But what we do remember is the fruit of his labor, because we're reading it today. The letter we're reading today is the letter he delivered, and the reason he, we can read it is because he was faithful to the ministry work that was ahead of him. He bore fruit from his faithfulness. And though, though it's only the smallest peripheral glimpse of his life, we don't even hear his words, the fruit remains. The fruit of your faithfulness will remain also. It will persevere, for fruit produced by faith is preserved by God. Faith produces fruit. And fruit, what is it but the kingdom of God breaking through to right wrongs, to save and change lives, and to ultimately point to the ongoing love and work of Christ? See, this series, as we've talked about, it's not about these individuals. It's also about us. But it's not just about what God has done. It's about what God is doing right now. Your fruit will remain. When you are faithful, you produce fruit, and that will remain. Now consider this other gentleman mentioned, Onesimus. He is referred to here as our faithful and our dear brother, who is one of you. Again, dear brother is mentioned there. And he says he's one of you. That means he's from Colossae. He is, in fact, mentioned in Philemon. He is the runaway slave that Paul sends back his way, back to Philemon, not to be a slave, but to be a brother and servant of Christ. And this is a heartwarming inclusion that Paul includes in this greeting, that he sends the former slave of a man, former slave of a man, but now a servant of Christ, back to his homeland with no mention of his earthly chains, but only mention of his new identity in Christ. If you've ever felt, and you may notice a theme within my preaching, I kind of come back to certain things a lot of times, and this is one of them. If you've ever felt like your past hinders your ability to now serve Christ, remember Onesimus, okay? Even more so, remember Paul. So, whether something awful was done to you, like Onesimus, or you've done something awful in the past, like Paul, you have a new identity in Christ. The old is gone. 
the new has come. And if you call him Lord, God will use you to produce kingdom shaking and long lasting fruit that will persevere well beyond our days if you only have the faith to follow him. You are qualified, not because of anything you did, but because of what Christ has done. Let's move to our next grouping of individuals here, verses 10 through 11. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justus, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Okay, this group of three. First, Aristarchus. He's also mentioned in Acts 19 and 20. We know he was also arrested in Ephesus and he accompanied Paul, when he accompanied Paul to Jerusalem. That's who he is. And then there's Mark, which, yes, is the Mark you're thinking of, the very author of the gospel. That's not just thrown in here as a little Easter egg. He not only wrote that gospel, we know he's mentioned uh, uh, multiple times in Acts 12, 13, 15. It's also mentioned in 1 Peter 5. But there is special significance to Mark, who's also known as John Mark, mentioned here. You may recall, and if you haven't, check out the book of Acts. It's fascinating. There was a dispute over Mark between Paul and Barnabas. Paul didn't want to bring Mark on a missionary journey because Mark kind of ducked out of their last journey. And so Paul said, no, I don't want to take him. And Barnabas said, absolutely, we need to take him with. It was such a significant disagreement that they parted ways. And Barnabas goes with John Mark to do mission work, and, and, and Paul recruits Silas to do mission work. But the inclusion of Mark in this letter is very significant, including the shout-out to Barnabas, because it proves that reconciliation has occurred. Okay, there was a disagreement in the church. There are disagreements that happen in the church. Can you believe that? Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. But... In this instance, the one that's often talked about, well, look at the split in the church. Things were made right. Reconciliation occurred between these folks because look, he is with them and he is talking about him and, and sending him. They forgave each other. And Mark forgave Paul for the dispute. And that is the church. That is imitating Christ in the work of reconciliation that he calls us to. And then you get an instance of another Jesus, but it's not that Jesus, it's the other Jesus. And we know that Jesus was actually a very common name, which is really funny to think about, right? Like, can you imagine being another Jesus when Jesus did what Jesus did? And you're like, and everyone's like, that wasn't you. No, that wasn't me. That's the other Jesus. Well, this Jesus, it makes sense. He was known by another name. I wonder how many other people had nicknames at that time. I like his nickname, Justice, because... In the English language, it sounds like justice, and Jesus is justice. And so here we have a fun plan word. That's all we know about him. He had the same name as Jesus. That and this. Aristarchus, Mark, justice. They get special mention of being a great comfort to Paul. 
he mentions specifically they are Jewish Christians. You recall, Paul was a Jew of the Jews. That was his heritage, just like these individuals. They were Jewish, and they were captured by Christ, and they became Christian. A Jewish heritage, but now Christian in belief. And these are the only three that have the same background as Paul with those doing ministry with him, showing first the explosive growth of the Gentile church, Christianity among the Gentiles, and two, the very real alienation Paul must have felt from his very own people. And think about this, that word comfort, the, the, the Greek word that's translated as comfort is per, paragoria, okay? Want to say it with me? Paragoria. There you go. You can speak Greek now. It's the only instance of that particular word showing up in the Bible, meaning comfort. Only one, all of Scripture, this paragoria only shows up here. And what does that mean? It actually means relief of pain. It's not just like, oh, there, there, this is a nice little comfort. He was in pain from the distance between him and the people that were his people forever. He was ostracized from them, and yet he was being faithful to what God called. But these folks were relief from that very real pain. And it reminds us, in the family of God, we can be each other's relief of pain. God works in and through this body to find our belonging here, to find our shared identity in him, our new identity that we all have. We can find relief from the very real pain of this life here. That means we have to be incredible, incredible, hospitable, and welcoming individuals, which I have experienced here. But it's a healthy reminder. How are we at receiving others? How are we, not at just that church, but everywhere we go, at being that same welcoming, embracing, and Christ, grace-filled love of that, this early church? Have you ever experienced that pain of loss, that pain of connection, that, that separation from friendships or, or, or co-workers or a group from before? And have you found your belonging? Have you found your comfort? Because it is available here. It is the purpose, one of the purposes of the church, to aid each other as we seek God together. It's one of our greatest gifts we can give another, is our presence. And that's what they did here for Paul. Let's move on to the next two verses. So look at one more individual here. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ. He sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him. He is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. I love this guy. He's the founder of the Colossians church. And he's another brother-in-arms of Paul's. And that description is so beautiful, isn't it? He's continually wrestling in prayer for his people. What does that reveal? A deep love of his family of faith and a deep love of his God. And he is wrestling on their behalf. And that is such an encouragement, encouraging image for us all to live into. 
and he is encouraging and praying on their behalf to not give in to the heretical teaching that is surrounding them. We know our prayers are powerful, but sometimes we act as though we don't believe how powerful our prayers truly can be. Sometimes you may wonder what you can do. Maybe you're not in a position to volunteer as much anymore. You you can't serve in the same way as you want to serve or as the needs require. But you can always pray more. You can always advocate and wrestle in prayer for others. That is as heroic as they come. And Epiphras, he advocated for his church family in prayer. Do you have people that are prayerfully wrestling in faith for you? And similarly, do you have people that you are prayerfully wrestling with on their behalf? Another beautiful glimpse into what it means to be a part of this faith community. And now verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor in Damas, sends greetings. Again, that is, yes, the Luke you are thinking of, the the gospel writer, the author also of of Acts, the way that God worked through his hand to pen those two incredible works that show us Jesus. Luke, a, a, an example of faithfulness. You can find him throughout the book of Acts and how he journeys with them. Yes, he is a physician and, and, and he sends greetings. He is a doctor. He is he is faithful servant. And it's easy when you read this line because they're paired together in this instance to think that's the same for Damas. And yet, Damas is actually a tragic warning for us. Because he's mentioned elsewhere, he's also mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And look at this concerning and heart-wrenching text. Paul is talking to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. He lists off all these other people who are off on ministry assignments, they're off doing this, and Paul is, he's alone, longing for Timothy to come to him. He also says this, for Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. As you extrapolate that, it says that Damas had left the faith. He had been one of Paul's co-workers, as mentioned here. He's also mentioned in Philmon. And then later, after he wrote this letter, he deserted Paul because he loved the things of this world. He loved the things of this life, the present world. He loved worldly values and worldly pleasures above the things of God. And this serves as a, 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 almost a gut check for all of us. Because we all think that that, that, that that can't happen. Except Damas was, he walked and served alongside Paul and it happened to him. He fell into the temptation and the lure of this world and, and he, 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 he tasted things that he liked and he continued down that path and away from another. And you think, well, that's just one example. But then you remember Judas who walked with Jesus and gave in to his love of coin. And so we start to wonder what that means. Well, maybe they, they, they were going to do that all along, except do you think Damas, do you think Judas, they, they, they long to walk away, to, for Judas to betray Jesus, for Damas to step away from the faith and do all this. Do you think Judas, that very first time he pocketed a coin, said, yes, the first step towards completely handing him over to the authorities? No. 
But that first coin was that first step and that first gap that the enemy used and he kept following in that path. And that is the warning to us is that we have to remain steadfast in our walk. We have to be surrounded by faithful followers to support us, encourage us, and and confront us when needed. To stay true to his word and his way for us. Let's finish this up. A couple more verses. 15 through 16. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church of her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So we have Nympha. Now there's actually a lot of debate over if this individual is a man or a woman. There's a lot of debate over how they conjugate verbs and all of this. This one has her, and I don't know one way or the other, but because we haven't had a woman who's an unsung hero yet, let's just say she's a woman, because we need one of those. So a lot of, we're going to, and in case you're wondering, why haven't we done that? We're going to be doing a series later on that is solely focused on women, so get ready, okay? A little tidbit of things to come. This individual uh, reminds us that, that there were no churches like this in the early church, that they met in houses. It was a movement of people on mission together. There was family on mission. And where they met were in homes. They met where they could. And this individual was a house church host. And they were faithful. And Paul sends greetings and instructions on what to do. And then he finishes up his letter. Tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And that's how he signs off. And Archippus, he's the charged. Not charged for like a felony or something, but charged as in a God-centered encouragement to stand firth and remember your ministry. He's mentioned in Philmon 2, as a fellow father of Christ, and that's all we have on him. But what I love here is Paul's instruction to him. See to it, you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. This charge he gives to remember the work that he had set before him, to remember it's, it's not just a task given to him by Paul, but rather an assignment from the Lord. And if you take away one thing from this whole series, it's this. You yourself have received a ministry from the Lord. You have a very important part to play. What does it mean to be a hero? It means to be faithful to what God has set before you. And he has set something in front of each and every one of us. Just like these 10 individuals here, they're all unique. They were all gifted. They were all called. God gave them things to do and the means to see them through. Some of them were encouragers. Some of them were truth tellers. Some of them were prayer warriors. Some of them were the hosts and hospitable ones. And of the nine who remained heroes, what do they all have in common? First, they all knew Paul, right? Paul's saying, hey, look at all these people. That meant they were connected to this vibrant life-on-life faith community. But what else did they have in common? They knew their God and the one who created and called him. They knew their God. 
And they knew they received a ministry from the Lord. And that call, that call that they have is the same call that we have. To not run to this world and to get captured by all the temptations of the thing that promise sweetness but only offer bitterness and death. To not give in to the false teaching of this world like, like Paul was concerned for the church in Colossae. Like I'm concerned and you're all concerned for our modern day churches right here and right now with the many multitudes of false teachings surrounding us. But to only run to one place and that is directly to the arms of our Father. Into the one who sees us and loves us and cares for us and gifts us and calls us. May we remember what matters in this world, and that, my friends, is what matters. He is what matters. His calling, his work that he set before us is what matters. So may we run again fully and completely to him. May it be true for each and every one of us here in this place and at home, online, together today. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the incredible tapestry of mission that you have created. As we we open our Bibles from the first word to the last, we see you at work. And we see you as our all-loving Father, putting in your plan of redemption and seeing it through the ways you worked through your faithful followers, even the ways you worked through disobedience at times. We give you thanks. And God, we long to follow you. We long to be reminded of our ministry that is only found in you. God, may you continue to illumine our eyes to see the gifts you have given us and the means to see our work through. And God, may we not be distracted by all the loud noises and all the flashy and alluring things that surround us, God. But may we have only eyes for you and what you have for us. Because God, as we look back on our life of faith, we've seen how you've been faithful to us. We've seen the way you've carried our burdens. We've seen the way you have been gracious. We've seen the way you've answered us again and again and again. And we see the depth of your love to care for our hearts. So God, we profess and proclaim and we we claim this day, this morning, that we want to run fully to you because you are our all-loving Father. We praise your name. We give you thanks. And all God's people say, Amen.